Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and Up and Under Networks. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. What's up, Pels fans? Welcome back to the Bird Calls podcast. I'm your host and contributor to thebirdrights.com, Preston Else. And today we're here to pound the table. We're here for reciprocity. We're here to mourn. But most importantly, we're here to talk basketball. It's a sad time in New Orleans to be a basketball fan. But as always, let's all be excellent to each other. I know that we get upset from time to time. And someone who has always been excellent to me is none other than editor-in-chief to thebirdrights.com and animal lover, Mr. Ali Cosell. <laughs> What's up, Preston? How you doing? I'm so good, man. Uh, one of our friends uh, decided to get one of her dogs pregnant. Um, she lost. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, Talk to us at Cordell and Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. A year ago, and anyway, uh, long story short, she asked us if we wanted one, and so I've just been getting filled with puppy videos, like every every pretty much uh, 24 hours over the last week and a half, and I'm just like watching my little sucker grow up, so I truly couldn't be better in that regard. When, when, when did you bring them home? Oh, I probably don't get to bring them home for about nine weeks. They want to keep them for 10 weeks, which is perfectly fine with me because I brought home one 10 years ago that was six weeks old and just was probably a little bit too early. So 10 weeks, about nine weeks from now. Nice. I bet you're excited, huh? So excited, dude. Uh, I, I don't know how my dog and my cat are going to take it, but excited to find out. We've, <laughs> we've gone too long. Let's let's go ahead and uh, move it on. Ali is the proud father of two pets, another proud pet father, and the prince of the protocol, Mr. Kevin Berrios. What's going on, brah? Oh, not much. I just left that place and I'm glad to be sitting on my sofa and and feeling bad for my dog because my dog is very weird and very full of anxiety and high stress when he's in the house and he's starting to become more of like an actual dog. He like he never barks and he barks every now and then now and he starts to do more dog like things and he loves being outside and Monday I have to bring him in to go get his heartworm shot and he's going to be out of commission for like two months not be able to do fun stuff 
that's tough it sounds like he just needs a 32 ounce rum drink yeah well that'll sort him out all right finally proud pet and person father i'll have you know contributor to both the bird rights and crescent city sports mr david grubb thank you thank you i'm so glad now this is my first official full week with the bird rights so i'm happy to be part of the family Oh, dude, we're happy to have you. This is our OG squad, the four of you guys. So glad that we could do this again. I know we had a hiatus for a while, but this is probably our second one in two weeks. We're on a streak, you guys. Uh, remember, as always, to follow these guys at The Bird Rights, at Ali Cosell, at Kevin B for Bounce, and at DM Grub. I've got about probably 25 trade ideas, way more than we need, that we'll go through near the end in a lightning round that we're calling Dell or No Dell. And that was David Grubb's idea. But first, uh, let's just dive into the the memory of the Pelicans 4-0 October start. Let's just get that behind us. Uh, yeah. Sorry, what were you saying? No, I was I was thinking of January when you said October. My bad. I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The healthy return of Nico, Etwan Moore, Alfred Payton, all that stuff has done nothing to slow the abysmal defense that has plagued the Pelicans all season long. I've got some stats up on my Twitter feed. I'm sure others do as well. While we may be overreacting to losses to Golden State and the 28-19 Portland Trailblazers in a vacuum who were playing at home, Anthony Davis' sprained finger forebodes what could be a season-crippling two-week stretch, and with it comes the same old drawn-up pawn storylines that's just about exhausted everyone in New Orleans. By now, even head coach Alvin Gentry, and this is very exciting because I get to say a curse word. He said, it's not communication. It's fuck. It's okay. I'm going to get fined. It's effort. It's effort. You've got to put effort into what you're doing, and you've got to take pride in what you're doing. That's what it takes to be a good defensive player, and that's what it takes to be a good defensive team. Um, Ali, the Pelicans overachieved last season. They took advantage of, I think, 15 sub-500 teams over their uh, last 27 games en route to the shocking sweep of the Trailblazers. And while Gentry and Demps acknowledged that the team wasn't close in the offseason presser, I was there with you, I remember, we, the fans, and the national media couldn't help but be drizzled with expectations. And for now, the sixth time in seven seasons, it appears there is little to no chance of seeing the second round again. Let's dive right into a question for you, Ollie. This is from our friend Pelicans Reddit. Just one question. Why? I'll take my answer off air while I cry in the corner and pretend it's the baby. Oh, my God. Where to start? I mean, I mean, you got to start the top. Because nothing's really changed. And that's something that David, myself, and a few others have always said. If you're going to complain about the coaching staff now, you, does anybody realize that they, these guys, you know, Alvin Gentry, uh, Ehrman, and Finch were there last year during that final 30 games or whatever it was where the team really played uh, great ball. They were 20-8, and eight, uh, made the playoffs, killed it in the playoffs, and, you know, really should have been up. You, you, you can say 2-1 to one on the Golden State Warriors, but – it's been a complete reversal. And again, I, I just can't really place all the blame on the coaching staff. Now we've seen some rotation issues and you know what, you kind of question some of their strategies when you consider, you know, Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday are playing a lot of minutes. So down these stretch of games, I mean, there's gotta be a reason why these guys are performing in clutch time and it can't just be nerves considering they've been there. They've been in the league long enough, but in essence, the team is always finding a way to lose as toward last year somehow always squeaked out the wins you know that 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 was the biggest key and of course David's probably been the most famous amongst all of us saying that regression was coming and while I think it's funny I don't really believe in that I don't think probably David believes in that but the simple fact is the team just doesn't do enough to win ball games and so when you ask the question why there's not just one reason guys but you've just got to watch the games I mean let's just go ahead and talk about the last game 
where the effort was just abysmal. Uh, they came out fine first quarter. It was kind of back and forth. The offense was flowing enough. The, the defense wasn't giving up these wide open layups and wide open threes possession after possession. But in the second quarter, that all changed. And honestly, it was highlighted when Julius Randle was out there and he was kind of at the center of everything. And I think that's one of the good markers we can talk about. And I want to let Kevin and uh, David and Preston, you yourself jump in. But I feel like that when the team lost DeMarcus Cousins last year, we suddenly saw the team improve. Well, guess what? We kind of replaced DeMarcus Cousins with a guy that's, home, you know, almost the exact same replica where he's a great offensive player. He puts forth the effort. He's got that fire. But defensively, he either just doesn't try or he's lost. So in, in essence, we've replaced DeMarcus Cousins with Julius Randle. And if you remember, outside of that stretch in early January last year, the Pelicans were hovering right around 500 or below that. And we're seeing that again this year. And you, you can just basically take it off from there. But the pieces have not fit. The guys have not tried 110%. They don't execute down the stretch. And most of all, the defense has not been consistent enough to stop the defense, or excuse me, the opponents enough to where it puts themselves in good positions to win the ball games. Yeah, well said. Um, so many things to, to digest from all that, Kevin. You can either take a topic that you like. Um, obviously, Alvin Gentry seems to have had enough with his squad defensively, the third-rated offense, now the 27th-rated defense, trailing only the New York Knicks, the Phoenix Suns, and the Cleveland Cavaliers, fourth from the bottom. Uh, Kevin, what do you point to uh, as – you know what, let's, let's get away from what do you point to. There's too much to talk about there. Talk about where the Pelicans are right now. Do you think this season is lost? Yeah. I mean, last last time we did a podcast, uh, and it – it was before last night's game, obviously, before we lost two in a row. Um, I thought that the season was pretty much over, and I think it is for sure, especially getting news now that Anthony Davis is going to miss two weeks, probably, you know, um, at least one week. Um, and we're already in such a huge hole, and then you don't really see that much of a path forward in terms of um, trading to really improve the roster. I know we're going to go through possible trades uh, later on. Um, so we won't dig too much into that, but it's really sort of hard to upgrade the roster because what are you going to do? What what team are you building? Are you building towards keeping Anthony Davis? Are you building for the life after Anthony Davis? What do you want to spend? What do you want to give Dell Demps ammo to use? What kind of ammo do you want to give him? Because, I mean, I've been a supporter of Dell Demps, but if Anthony Davis, if he has to trade Anthony Davis, he shouldn't be allowed to because I just don't think that you can be a guy that's able to trade two superstars, you know, over a span of time, not at the same time, sort of like, you know, like the Celtics did to rebuild. But, um, you know, I just don't think you should get that right. Um, and I think a lot of things that happened weren't his fault, but it, at some point you're going to have, you have to make a change. And I think we're just like at that point now where we just have to realize that things aren't working out, whether Anthony Davis is returned, re retained or not, um, whether he asks out or not. Um, there has to be changes. Um, you can't just keep doing the same thing over and over again every year just to shake something up. I mean, it's been, what's it now? How many years we've been here? Uh, is it seven or eight years now? Uh, with mm -hmm. yeah, eight, so, yeah, eight. Eight, yeah. So, I mean, look, I like him. I think he's a very good person. I like when he talks. I think he's smart. I think he's made a lot of good decisions. I think he's hit a lot of home runs on trades, but bad luck has come in. And it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, 
it's like a marriage that is not working out, but nobody really harmed each other or there's no real deep seated hatred or any real reason to break up. It's just not really working out and nobody's the bad guy, but you just need a split and everybody start over with a fresh beginning. And I think that's where we're at at this point. David, I think we can probably all universally agree that letting uh, Del Dem step down is the right move right now with the February 7th trade deadline approaching. Meanwhile, though, uh, right next door at Airline Drive, the New Orleans Saints are fighting for the NFC Championship. Uh, and as a Pelicans fan, you almost hope that they lose so that the season ends so that Mickey Loomis can begin focusing on the Pelicans and this dire situation that we're in right now. However, should the, the Saints win, uh, what's likely going to be the scenario is that they're going to play the Super Bowl and the trade deadline is going to pass us with nothing ha having been done. Or even worse, Del Demps might tie a first round pick to something that might not end up being a piece long term. How difficult of a position do you think? both the Pelicans and the Saints front office are in right now? You know, it starts with Gail Benson. You know, she was also this week, and, I, and again, this isn't to attack anyone, and I think Kevin is absolutely right. It's a marriage that just hasn't worked for anybody in this thing. But Mrs. Benson has to, you know, she was out with her horses um, and, and winning races this weekend, and, and then she'll be back, obviously, tomorrow for the football game for the Saints and, and to hopefully watch them win an NFC championship and go to the Super Bowl. And I understand all that, but – yeah, there hasn't been that organizational focus on what the Pelicans are doing. And right now they're at this critical juncture where they have to make major decisions one way or the other. And you do wonder who's at the helm of this ship, you know, ultimately. Um, is it Mrs. Benson? Is it, uh, you know, the the Saints personnel, as we call it, or is it Del Demps? And I don't think, uh, you know, anybody's in a position. I, I wonder what it's like to be Del right now, because who is he getting orders from? Is someone there who's, you know, giving him counsel or um, guidance in that, at this point? Have there been discussions? We have no idea because we just don't know about the relationship there is between the front office um, of the, the Benson organization and then the, the front office of the Pelicans. So I think there's just this huge cloud of mystery over who's going to make a decision and if there is a trigger to be pulled at all. Because there just doesn't seem to be that, you know, uh, that interest um, above him. Um, for Mickey Loomis to to say anything. And I think at some point you would have thought that the president of the organization, Mickey Loomis, would have come forward and said, you know, this is what we're going to do. We're all in on winning this season. We're all, we're no, we're going to do this. I mean, it's, there's just been no statements. And I think that's as troubling for followers of the Pelicans as anything else. And Ollie, just to follow up on that, the Saints can't deal with with a distraction of this magnitude right now. They have they have to have singular focus on getting to the Super Bowl, winning the Super Bowl. At the end of the day, that's what the New Orleans populace wants. They want the Saints in the Super Bowl. So it doesn't make sense for them to have a shakeup within the confines of their own building right now, right? No, and you're absolutely right. And this is one thing that I want to add to also this topic of discussion is the fact that I don't mind that Del Dennis was given a lot of freedom to operate simply because he's a basketball mind. And if you look at everybody else that's kind of above him, they're affiliated, of course, with the Saints and any other kind of businesses Tom Benson ever had them deal with or run. So really, I don't have a problem with that Dell doesn't really answer these guys or that they're involved in a lot of discussions. So let's face it, they're non-basketball people. And that's probably the biggest key thing that you want to see changed. Um, I know Del Dems brought in Danny Ferry. And I'm sure he probably seeks counsel from a lot of people. Um, I've heard that he's roughly got about seven or eight people that are close to him. So obviously they talk about all sorts of scenarios and stuff like that. And uh, so it's not Dell just always making these decisions, whether rightly or wrongly. 
But again, you still want to see that person above them, uh, especially when th th there's a co-ownership involved in, and you kind of need somebody hands-on at all times. And right now, of course, is the worst time in the world. Saints, obviously, not only are you riding this high, but you're just, you're just completely focused on enjoying and, and trying to just get the city motivated. You know, I can't imagine how many calls that Loomis, Lausha, everybody else are dealing with, you know, not just friends, families and businesses, but just in general, everything they have to do that's involved with the playoffs um, and, and, and beyond that, you know, with media, you name it. So you're right. There needs to be something done and addressed about that. But had this model worked, let's say had Dell been successful, had the Pelicans been successful, everybody would have never had a problem with Dell kind of being that sole top figurehead of a decision maker, right? Yeah, absolutely. None wants. Oh, go ahead, David. Well, I just I, I don't think if it works, yeah, nobody would have said anything. Um, I just think that structurally it's hard for anybody to do that. You know, it's hard for anybody to not have someone that's, uh, you know, in that position, whether it's you, when you see those successful franchises, usually that duo at the top because they may not have there's not a competing interest. But it takes somebody, I think, above the GM, that president of basketball operations, when it was the Lakers, you know, and Mitch Kupchak was had to bounce things off of Jerry West. Or, if it, you know, wherever there's that organization, it feels like there has to be that second mind to just kind of put things in perspective sometimes. Because if they're all people that Dell picked, that's, that's great for Dell. But then they're all working for Dell or with Dell. That person above can sometimes just have that different perspective because you need conflict and creativity sometimes, um, you know, and, and people focus on that same direction. Yeah, yeah it works. No one says anything. But. Think about this. Greg Popovich was given a lot of latitude and freedom. And if I'm not mistaken, right, R.C. Buford kind of came along and then started helping Popovich, you know, behind the scenes on constructing everything around that team. Um, and, of course, you can point to any other models where the general manager was also the president. So you, they kind of served as in that kind of dual role. Now, I know we've seen, like, say, Stan Van Gundy, and it hasn't worked with Doc Rivers out in L.A. But, again, I point to it's just simply a results-based industry. And had it worked, none of these guys, it wouldn't have been an issue, right? So I, I guess what I'm, I'm just saying is I don't think this is the key central problem to the Pelicans. I simply think it was just bad decisions, right, guys? I mean, yeah. it would have been great to have that structure in place. It would have been great to have maybe more – you know, arguments, disagreements, or just just discussions on which direction to take, maybe creating a better path. But in the end of the day, it's just been bad decisions, right? That's gotten us to this point. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. It's not the cause. Yeah, I, I think that it probably. I think the only thing is like when you when you get into situations like when the point when Alfred Payton was down for so long, and you were talking, we were all saying, why don't they get a veteran point guard? That might have been one of those situations where somebody above Dell. And that's where we don't know where the conversation goes. If he was told not to add pieces, if he was told not to bring on South, we don't know. And I think that's, that what makes, that's what makes it so hard about this organization in particular is because it is so quiet. And then when you fail, that, that silence becomes deafening. And like you said, in success, silence is fine. But when it's silence, when things are, appear to be going sideways or backwards, it just feels like inaction, even if that's not the case. You know, I think, I mean, one thing, first off, I, I think a lot of the stuff with like Loomis being distracted with the Saints, I think a lot of that's just sort of overblown, in my opinion. I don't know how you guys feel. I mean, first off, like, what do the Saints have to do? I mean, they're not making like roster moves. So, I don't, you know, I don't, I, I understand like he's getting calls for tickets and things like that, but I don't think that plays as heavy into, you know, 
life with the Pelicans, um, as some people think. But the um, thing I was going to say is I think it's always been a problem of identity. And one of the main reasons that it's been a problem with identity is because our stars and, you know, the face of the franchise isn't a leader. Um, you know, he's not like a rah-rah leadership, vocal leader kind of guy. So that's the face of your franchise. It trickles down where like, how can a guy that's, you know, a quarter of as good as this face of the franchise take over a, a leadership role? Um, we got a little bit of an injection of leadership last year with Rondo and then, you know, strong personality and cousins. Um, and, but also, you know, it, it trickles down like the, we when we had uh, cousins and Davis and that was like the foundation of our team. That's what we we're building around. You know, the mantra was do it big yet we played like a small ball team with two bigs. You know, we never really committed to that do it big. So there's like, you know, there was never like a clear identity of what this team is supposed to be or what it's been. And part of that is due to a lack of leadership. Part of it is due to uh, playing against the strengths of your team or not really building, um, you know, a a true structure on the court and a a structured way to play that fits with what you have. Um, And I think that's just been a problem since we've been here because, you know, originally it was Davis and holiday yet Tyreek Evans was more of the vocal leader. And then we got Rondo and Cousins. But now who's the vocal leader right now? I mean, does anybody know who's speaking up, who's challenging people Um, in the last home game, they had a segment on the, television screen which i thought was pretty interesting where they were like having players choose what emoji represents them and then solomon hill comes up and he chooses the 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 silhouette of a person speaking and he says yeah because i'm the guy that talks a lot you know anthony and and drew are extremely quiet guys um so i'm the guy that's talking all the time and think about you know solomon hill is a guy that everybody wants to trade out of here i mean i like solomon hill as a guy but i understand that his contract and the situation here just hasn't been good so i understand why you want to trade him i'm not trying to knock solomon hill but he's not the guy that you want to be the vocal leader guy in the locker room the guy that's talking you know you want it from a player that's demanding respect on and off the court and in the locker room and we just haven't had that so it it's it's just a total lack of identity since the Anthony Davis era has begun, I think. You know what I could argue is I don't see it as a lack of identity. I think a team finds your identity, and I think they found it last year. And obviously we know what that entails. They're defensively very versatile, and they could score uh, pretty much from anywhere. And you had two lightning rods and Holiday and Davis. What I feel like is a bigger problem this year is just a lack of urgency. I mean, and you know who I compare us to is the Houston Rockets. They've had a bunch of injuries as well. And uh, they start off the year even worse than we did. And yet you see Daryl Morey always, always reaching out, trying to grab players. Of course, they didn't land Jimmy Butler. But you know who they did pick up uh, as soon as they hit free agency? Austin Rivers and now Kenneth Freed. What have the Pelicans done? You know, that's my issue is, it, is you know, we can talk about is there enough executives above Dell? Is, is there an identity? I feel like it's just we have not seen – this structure that's in place react appropriately. And that's yeah. where I'm screaming bloody murder. You know, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's been all James Harden, but yet they always grab the pieces when they become available random. Why haven't the yeah. Pelicans done it? Because it's obvious there are weaknesses on this roster. Yeah, yeah we, I, Sorry, go ahead, Dave. Because, go. I mean, I, 
going back to the preseason, and Ali, you remember when we were sitting there at the last preseason game against Toronto, and I was already saying then that I felt like it wasn't the fact that they were giving up points in the preseason then. It's just the way that they were doing it. And we would yes. talk to Alvin even at that point, and he said, I can't get this team to understand. And he was saying, this is back in October, he was saying, I can't get this team to understand that the reason the Warriors are great is because they played great defense. Remember? It yes. was this Before the season started, people were saying, no, the defense will be okay. The defense will be okay. By game three, by game three, when they played the Clippers at home, I was already telling Ali up in the press box, there's something wrong with this defense. And it was that, that edge, whatever the, that, that urgency on the defensive end, that intensity that it requires on the defensive end was gone. And, and it, it was never right. And people get saying it'll come together to come together. And here we are in late January and it has not come together. They're still the 27th ranked defense in this league. And it's, you know, they had a slight uptick to get to like 24, I think has been the peak that they were this season and they've come back and it's just, it's, it's been there this entire year. And I think that that identity that Alvin wanted two things out of this, out of this team, he wanted to play quickly, but he wanted them to be tough. He, he, I mean, that was a constant and you see in those comments yesterday after the game, when he was letting loose, that was something that, that we had been talking about after each home game. You'd be like, it's gotta be coming soon. Because he would be saying things on the side, like, and Ollie would see it at practice, and then we'd talk about it after games with Alvin on the side, just about, you know, there was just this lack of urgency in the players, just this whole feeling of we can turn it around. And even Julius Randle's comments last night, oh, it's a bit of an overreaction. We just have to be consistent. There has just never been, from the start of this season, from training camp on, there wasn't that sense of urgency or that sense of team building. Like, remember that last year, the whole trip to, to Lexington, guys training together in the offseason. It wasn't like that coming into this season. And I think there was some resting on laurels. Guys thought they had made it after getting through there. But we heard the fool's gold stuff. We heard the defensive things. And it just never got heated, not just by the fans, but most importantly by the guys in that locker room. And none of them have stood up over the course of the season to, to draw that line and say, okay, that's been enough. We have to be better than this. And they just never – they haven't done it. And the thing that's really, because I was thinking about urgency earlier today at work too. And the thing that's really unusual about this is you think about how many guys are basically on, on contract years, you know, you have Nikola Miritich is basically on a contract year. I mean, his contract does run up. Uh, Randall is basically on a contract year because, you know, he's opting out of that contract. Peyton is also on a contract year. Julio Okafor is on a contract year, you know, and then it's also a year where you're trying to, um, bring in, uh, you know, you're trying to convince Anthony Davis to stay. So, yes, it is extremely frustrating to see that there is no urgency. There's just this lackadaisical approach to, yeah, we still have time. We still have time, you know. Um, so it, it's just weird. It's a weird situation, you know, where you have guys usually on contract years are playing their best basketball. And for some reason, you know, it's just not happening. I mean, you look at Julius Randle, he's putting up offensive numbers. Defensively, he's – nothing what I expected you know I I'll admit I watched a decent amount of late season Lakers uh games because I I was kind of I thought they were kind of fun the young uprising team and I've never liked the Lakers so it was on I thought it was unusual that I was watching them and I thought that you know I really enjoyed watching Julius Randle play and what I thought that we were getting was going to be a Kyle Anderson that had a willingness and ability to score and be a dominant scorer you know I thought he could create like Anderson I thought he was a versatile defender like that I thought he would rebound but he's not been that 
Um, he's been the, the force offensively, but a lot of times that gets you out of your offense that you're trying to run. So it's just been a, a weird, unexpected year, honestly, because you would think that there was urgency from top to bottom on trying to build the team. You, you would think they would have a better backup point guard situation sorted out. You would think that the players would play with more effort because they're trying to convince the face of their franchise to stay with them. And also for those guys that are on contract years to earn money in the, in their next contract and prove that they're not busts in the case of like Alfred and Jaleel and Jaleel's played fine. I'm not trying to throw him into the underperforming guys, but he's just another guy on a contract that's also in a proven year. Um, so it is, you know, hard to understand and, and frustrating. Yeah, definitely. You guys, we got to get to some questions. We've got 19 days until the trade deadline and the Pelicans are in an interesting position where we almost have to hope that they'll lose at 21 and 25. They have very winnable games at Memphis where Mike Conley and Marcus Hall just had a meeting with management there. And then they host the Detroit Pistons who are still very much in the Eastern playoff race, but are very beatable even without Anthony Davis in the lineup. And then the Pelicans could conceivably have Anthony Davis back in the lineup next Wednesday. That puts him right at his timetable of about a week. He's being reevaluated about two to three days from now, according to Shams. So the Pelicans are in an interesting position. Frustration abounds. We've even seen the wives of some of the players and front office personnel get in on it. But as you guys say, we're just not seeing that level of frustration from the players. Let's get into our questions. Ali, we'll start with you. This is from our Bart Dark, uh, <laughs> the only reason there's even a chance is that 6-14 to 14 is really kind of sucky and bunched up. He's talking about the Western Conference. But if you finish in the eighth position and you play Golden State, is it even worth it, Ollie? No. Unless it's worth it to Anthony Davis, that's the only way that would be worth it. Not for us fans, because we know what's going to happen. I mean, Golden State's got not only the Pelicans' number, but I mean, what did I say the other day? The Pelicans have beaten since the Anthony Davis era began. I think we've beaten Golden State three times out of like 32 times. It's something ridiculous. And, of course, the Warriors right now, we, as we saw, they're at their peak powers. And they just got DeMarcus Cousins back. So there's no way you want to face these guys if you actually have any kind of dreams of making any kind of noise. So you've got to be shooting for the seventh position. And you know what? That's still in striking distance. But, again, you've got to look at how many teams you've got to leapfrog. And right now that would take five. Uh, the Timberwolves, Kings, Clippers, Lakers, I want to say the Jazz. And, of course, some of those teams are playing well, others are not, but that, that's besides the point. New Orleans has to play well well, and for, you know, a good bit of time, for at least a month or so, just to put themselves back into the bubble. And so, no, Preston, I don't have any hope of that either happening, let alone it being worth it. All right, Kevin, this one's for you. It's from J-Dub. He says, are the Pelicans the biggest tease in the Gulf region? <laughs> yeah, I would say so. I mean, you you they always find ways to give you little hope here and there, but they generally let you down. I mean, we've had two good years um it since uh since Chris Paul left really and that's just uh you know, considering we have what is universally declared as a top 5 player and we've seen the guys around him in you know in those rankings be able to carry a team uh, on their own and he has not been able to do that consistently it's uh definitely been a tease for sure i'll definitely throw i love new orleans i was born and raised in new orleans but i'll throw bourbon street in there i took my wife there for mardi gras about a year and a half ago and it just doesn't 
live up to the expectation, the glamour that you think it will. It's more well, just like Preston. That's, <laughs> that's a known fact. That, that's a way. <laughs> like no if you fa- said Frenchman Street, I'd let you sigh because Frenchman Street <laughs> is a place that locals tell tourists they hang out at, but don't actually hang out there. <laughs> All right, David. <laughs> Let's get back on topic before we steer off course. Clint White, uh, Ali just kind of capitalized on this. He says, why haven't we gone dumpster diving yet? Who knows what's out there, but we know that Clark and Williams ain't doing anything for us. Why aren't the Pelicans uh, trying to bring in guys, uh, 10-day contracts, put out feelers for guys like Kenneth Fareed, Austin Rivers, that sort of thing? Well, I think the Kenneth Reed deal, I mean, as we saw, it was pretty pretty much done before he was cut. And and a lot of times when we see buyouts, we know that that's how it's working. Um, But – it's too late, you know, say, why haven't we, you know, at this point, you know, the post postmortem won't be written until whatever happens with Anthony Davis on this season, but there's no point in going dumpster diving. Now that's not, what's going to make a difference. Hey, you have out of the what top 11, 12 guys in the rotation, 10 of them are in the bottom half um, defensively at their position. So what are you going to find dumpster diving? That's going to change that. You know, if you have so many guys who are just not defending in their position, there's not a player out there. And Kenneth Fareed is not a defender anymore. And he never really was a solid defender. But now he's just not that. You're bringing him in to do some banging and, and grab some boards and maybe get some putbacks. Um, so he wouldn't have helped this team. But maybe an Austin Rivers would have at the time when you needed a guard. Yeah, um, you know, we all said that they needed to get another guard. But for whatever reason, the Pelicans didn't make that move when they had the opportunity and that, along with the, the major defensive issues, have uh, torpedoed this season. So, yeah, at this point, anything you do now would just be window dressing on um, a business that's going, you know, that's about to close. All right, moving right along. Good job, you guys. Uh, this is from Nolan Marshall, Ollie. He says, what's the best case scenario if missing playoffs and extending AD are both off the table? Well, the best scenario is to basically do the quickest rebuild on the fly that you can. And I think that potential is out there, but again, that comes down to do you obviously trust the structure in place. And I think we all agree that we do not. So you would have to go ahead and clean house, bring somebody in, decide right up front, which pieces you want to keep, which ones you want to trade. And of course the trade deadline is three weeks away. You can't simply watch Nico, Julius Randall, whoever else just walk out that door this coming summer. Just like we saw Ryan Anderson leave, same thing with Eric Gordon. You've got to be able to get something back if there's a chance you can get something back of positive value, which obviously there's going to be because both of those players are very productive. So if that's the choice you take, if you're going to want to do that rebound on the fly, you've got to go ahead and move those pieces for future pieces. And of course, I mean, again, everybody says they don't know what Anthony Davis's decision is, and you may not, but it's just amazing that the writing is just right there on the wall. You know what I mean? Why would Anthony Davis stay with a team that is basically giving him his freedom. You know, he's tried, he's tried everything he could for seven years. Uh, and, and and he's got guys, previous greats like Kevin Garnett in his ear. If you really care about legacy, I mean, it's, it's all around him that he needs to leave. So you've got to expect that he's just going to take that Avenue, especially if the Pelicans miss the playoffs. So you've got to move him and obviously get a nice, probably the best return we've ever seen for a player. Um, and then of course you use all these pieces that you bring back, you go through the draft one time and suddenly you've got, let's say you maybe keep Drew Holiday, maybe you keep Nico and you've got Frank Jackson, you've got Julio Okafor on a very good team deal. And suddenly you add some, not only, you know, 
uh, future pieces in terms of rookies, but you also bring back some young, good, productive players. And of course, you may even have a chance for the playoffs next year if you do everything right. And you're basically set up for at least the next three, four, five years after that. So that should be the goal if that's what this team decides to do. Um, if management and both the front office decide, hey, this isn't going anywhere. And like I said, the writing's on the wall. There are so many buyers. It's so competitive in the West. I don't see how you can walk into the office every day and just think, hey, it's going to turn around this week. When, in fact, it's just progressively gotten worse this season. And guess what? We just saw the guys healthy. And I know we faced Preston. You mentioned the competition, the Warriors, and the Trailblazers. But it's not that you just lose to these teams. It's how you do it. Granted, the Pelicans played as well as they could offensively against the Golden State Warriors. But you know what? They couldn't have stopped the Rock in that game. Same thing happened in Portland. You had Jake Lehman come off the bench, score 20 points in the second quarter. And a lot of them were of the layup, wide-open three-pointer variety. This is game 46. And if that is happening, I don't see how you can look everybody else in the eye of that locker room in the front office, and think something's going to change. It's, it's, it's just too late. I mean, change like that requires a lot of things to go happen and go right. And like I said, I just don't see it. So that would be the best-case scenario. You might as well go ahead and go ahead and decide you're a seller, which is a great time to be a seller, and make all the moves appropriately, rebuild on the fly half a year, go through one draft, and there you are. You're competitive again. But David, why would you want to be competitive when you can hire Sam Hankey, take all of Boston's first round picks, sell the ones you don't like for future first round picks and kind of rebuild a la the process in Philadelphia. And that brings us to future Dr. Francis. So who's taking over this franchise at season's end and any chance it's someone so monumental that AD would actually consider staying? No, I mean, there, there, how many famous GMs are there? You know, how many guys have a record of building a team that are available and that the Pelicans are going to spend the money for. We know that this team will not spend six, seven, eight million dollars for an, an executive who will do that. So what you're trying to do, if you're the Pelicans is you're trying to find, again, like you did with Del Dems, you're trying to pluck somebody who you think is an up and comer. That's what this franchise has always done. And that, and budget wise, I understand that there are limitations being by far the smallest market in the NBA. So um, I don't think that there's a general manager or a coaching hire that's going to make Anthony Davis go, yeah, we're going to turn this around and I'm going to be a conference semifinalist next year. No, I think like Ollie said, a lot of this has already been decided. This is, this is a train that's in motion. So um, I, I don't think a three-year rebuild is in the best interest of the franchise because, again, you're talking about a fan base that is increasingly becoming irate. Um, you've seen the attendance with a team that you thought was going to be good. How do you think it's going to be with a team that's consistently bad, which was the process requires for two or three years? You know, like, I think Ollie's, you know, right. You have to try to find some young guys who are on contracts and have the flexibility to have picks to either grab veterans or to draft high um, and take guys in that, that can help turn around your franchise. If you can keep some of the guys from this core, like Drew and like Nico, um, then I think you can be competitive. Yeah, you absolutely can, because it seems that what this team requires more than anything is a shift in mentality and um, some guys who just are committed to playing defense. Because I don't think you can take any of those guys who are at the bottom of the league in their rankings and all of a sudden put them on another team and they're better defenders. I just don't think that happens. So you have to go and find guys who can do that. Um, and and that's, that's not available now, and you can't be thinking about that as a long-term process. At best, you can have one really bad year, but you're really trying to do this and, and do this quickly. Kevin, this is from Solomon. Are you guys okay with a rebuild? 
Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm a huge basketball fan, so I just like watching basketball and hopefully it's fun basketball. So I don't, uh, I, and I love rebuilding teams. It's like fun. My favorite thing to do on 2K is to tear a team down and rebuild it back up. So like I'm into that. Um, I mean, obviously in a perfect world, I would love to have Anthony Davis here and build a team that way. But you know, the, like Ali said, and David has echoed also, I mean, it's pretty much the writings on the wall. Uh, you got to expect that he's leaving. So that's the way to approach it. And I'm definitely along for the ride. I I enjoy it. Um, you know, I mean, I think like even last year, like, you know, I, I talked many times this year about how I like watching the Brooklyn Nets. And this year they're a good team. They're winning. But, you uh, you know, last year I was even watching them some because I was into them and the way they were playing. And, you know, like so rebuilds can be like fun that way. They don't have to be like the long draw, drawn out one, especially when you're looking at a Pelicans team that has some real assets, like, because if you're giving Anthony Davis away, you're taking in a bunch of really good assets, then, you know, with the way our season's going, we might have a pretty decent pick this year. Um, and then, you know, I think they need to decide at this moment, even if they don't replace uh, Dell Demps, let him move Julius Randle, not because Julius Randle is a bad player, but be, be, because, the writings on the wall and you can get something for him on an $8 million contract right now that you can use to build around um, too. So I think, I mean, I wouldn't trade Nico yet because, you know, you have his bird rights. You'll be able to bring him back. You really can't bring back Randall and Nico unless you get rid of AD and dump salary anyway, which why do you, why would you want to do that pairing in that situation? So I think it's just time to move on, get what you can. Um, maybe you can get a young player and a second round pick or a couple second round picks, um, you know, depending on what's available out there for them and just start collecting assets and get ready for an, an, a rebuild. And a rebuild doesn't need to be a five year thing. It could be a one, two year process. You know, it just depends on how um, what you get back for the guys you move out and how smart you are about your money and uh, your picks. I don't really see the need in sending out Nicola Maritich or Julius Randle at this point, just because I don't think there's a whole lot you can get back for them unless you're taking on long-term salary. And the Pelicans are already so close to the uh, the, the salary cap threshold uh, for 2019-20. Even should they move on from Anthony Davis, they're going to have to take back matching salary uh, to at least some degree. Uh, so I, I guess if you're just offloading them for like a Wes Johnson type, maybe you get a second round pick. I just can't imagine the team willing to invest anything above that. Let's go ahead. And uh, we've got one more question in this realm. Actually, you know what? I'm going to throw in another one, even though we're going a bit later. Who cares? Ali, nobody asked this question. This one's for me. Do you think uh, making a change to the to the coaching staff could have any effect at this point? Yeah, I think it could have an immediate effect, but. Would we know 100% for a fact that that's what was the reason for suddenly the rebound in the team's performance? Because we've seen it often, and people like to attribute anytime a coach is fired, suddenly a team goes on a run. And you know what? People thought as soon as uh, uh, Tibbs was fired up in Minnesota, and I think they've won, like, what was it, three games or something like that? People were like, wow, Minnesota is suddenly going to become, you know, relevant in the playoff race. Well, it hasn't transpired. So I just think what we see is what you're kind of going to get. There's only so much you can change anyways at this point in the season. You know, these players know each other very well. They know kind of how they play. You know what I mean? They, they know their strengths, what they do well, what they shouldn't. And, uh, and so a coach is going to come. Maybe he'll try and slow that pace down a little bit. Maybe there'll be different focal points on the floor. 
Uh, maybe there'll be, you know, different strategies in terms of how many players get back in transition defense, you name it, stuff like that. But is it going to have an overall effect? I just can't see it because we've seen what the problem is with, with this team and it's effort, it's intelligence, and it's basically carrying out and executing a lot of what Alvin Gentry has basically put out there. So why would the team suddenly start executing under a different coach? And, you know, there's all these questions. So, yeah, could it happen? Of course, but what I count on it? No. And that's why I think it's kind of just fool's gold to listen to all these fans cry out for let's just make a change in the coaching staff because there's so much talent on this roster. I'm sorry, but this is just a very top six heavy team. Maybe a little bit more if Jaleel got, you know, a little bit more playing time. We'd maybe see what else he could do. But other than that, yeah, I mean, there's not too much depth. And so, again, I don't see how a change in the coaching staff would suddenly bring around, bring around such a remarkable turnaround that we would suddenly see the playoffs. All right, this is from Bleed at 504, and then we'll get into trade speculation. He says, what's with the recent shift of blame from Dell Demps to Mickey Loomis lately? And I'll go ahead and tackle this one quickly. Uh, Mickey Loomis has been self-admittedly uninvolved with the New Orleans Pelicans. If you want to talk about lack of urgency with the New Orleans Pelicans on the floor, well, you can also mirror that to the lack of urgency in on airline drive with the New Orleans Saints and Mickey Loomis. Uh, at times like this, yes, it would be nice for the president of basketball operations to come out and say, hey, we are concentrated on winning this season kind of quiet all the speculation quiet the rumor mill do something to instigate a conversation that says that somebody is holding Dell Demps accountable somebody is in Dell Demps ear instituting directions uh for him to go toward uh prior to the February 7th deadline as these guys have discussed there are a number of people speaking in Dell Demps ear but we have no indications at this point that his boss is one of those people and in uh late season runs in previous seasons when we were wondering about the future of Alvin Gentry and Dell Demps it's taken them a long amount of time after the conclusion of the regular seasons to come out and say something publicly, and it was often tied to the NFL draft. So that's pretty much everything. Everybody just wants to see Dell Dumps held accountable, and everyone's just frustrated in general. This is not an indictment on Mickey Loomis or his legacy with the New Orleans um, organization. Anyway, we've got to move into trade ideas. This one's from, oh, first off, uh, our good friend Waka Waka Wakanda says he is all here for Ferrari Frank and Kung Fu Drew. So that could be fun uh, even after the fact should the worst take place. Let's get to trade ideas. Nolan Marshall, he says, my goal would be to zero in on a player, whether that be Ingram, Tatum, or Simmons. Flip other assets you can receive to third team for best player available with years left on deal. Give new trio a chance to be fun and competitive without legacy trap and pressure to trade future assets flexibility. Another question from Solomon. Uh, he says, how good do you think those Boston picks are going to be? And I'm going to take this. The Los Angeles Clippers right now are slotted somewhere around the seventh or eighth spot in the Western Conference. So you have to anticipate if they don't fall into the lottery, if they do actually make the playoffs, that pick will be somewhere between 15 and 20, probably uh, 15 to 18. Then you've got Memphis right now, who looks like they're bottoming out. They've got 19 wins, which is tied for sixth with the Magic and the Wizards. They're probably going to end up somewhere between six and 10, but that conceivably could be a spot that wins the lottery. I don't have the odds in front of me, but it's high enough that there is a possibility. And then they've got Sacramento, which at this point, if they fall out of the playoff race, somewhere between 10 to 14, probably closer to 14 at this point. And then they have their own pick, which would probably convert to uh, the 2025 range. Um, I don't know who's ter whose turn is it? Is it Kevin's turn? Kevin's turn. Okay, Kevin, here's my question for you. Coming into the summer, the Boston Celtics have Kyrie Irving, Al Horford, Aaron Baines, Marcus Morris, Terry Rozier, and Daniel Feast all to sign. They're already over the cap 
for next season, something like, I can't remember what it was, something like $119 million. Obviously, a lot of those are player options, but they have to re-sign all of these guys like Kyrie Irving and Al Horford, among others. Plus, they probably want to bring in somebody like an Anthony Davis. So here's the trade. It's a win-now trade that I'm posing to you. Solomon Hill, Nikola Miritich, and Wesley Johnson for Gordon Hayward and Daniel Thies, who is going to be a restricted free agent so the Pelicans would own his rights. The reason that the Celtics do this is because they're going to save a lot of money going uh, through next year. They'll have the chance to re-sign Nikola Miritich. Plus, he pretty much gives you that everything uh, Gordon Hayward takes away from you at this point, and they can conceivably get involved in the Robin Lopez buyout market in order to replace Daniel Thies if that remains a concern. It also removes a lot of roster positions. They are overloaded with roster spots right now. They've got conceivably four first-round picks uh, coming in that they're going to have to give a space to if they don't send them off in trades. So does this trade make sense to you? All right. Repeat the Pelican for me again. It's Miritich, So and what was the other player? And Wes Johnson for Gordon Hayward and Daniel Thies. No picks attached, just straight up. Yeah, I do that. All right. That was easy enough. I think it makes sense for both hands, but I know that Brad Stevens would probably be uh, uh, a little nervous to pull off that deal after having re-signed Gordon Hayward, but not necessarily Danny Ainge. Like I said, it provides so much salary cap relief that they actually can, in fact, re-sign some of these guys. Uh, I'll yeah. ask one. Sorry. And the thing is, no, that's fine. And the thing is, like, Gordon Hayward's got, you know, it takes a while to come back from that injury. We've seen with Paul George, and I think he's going to get back to that, what he was. And everybody thinks of him as a shooter, but he's a really good defender, too. And finally, we have a guy that would play, could play small forward and have some decent size to him. Uh, I mean, he's not like a traditional small forward. He's more of a two, I would say he's more of a two guard than a three. But I mean, when you're playing Etwan as a three, he's, you know, he's definitely a three over Etwan. So, um, it solves a long-term problem, you know, and he provides shooting. He can get to the rim. He can ball handle a little bit, and he's a good one-on-one defender. So, yeah. All right. That's a winner. I'm going to go ahead and mark that one. Grub, would you do Jeremy Lin, DeAndre Bembry for Solomon Hill and an unprotected first-round pick in 2019 or 2020, uh, whichever they prefer? No. No doubt. All right. I, no I'm, doubt. I'm just – yeah, I'm just not interested right now in taking on um, again giving up first round picks. I just think you, you have to keep those right now. I, I'm of the mindset, and I've been that way for a while, and you, and I've said it. It's just that I don't want to give away any future assets until I see what the market bears at the end of the season, because there are going to be so many offers on the table um, coming in for you know with all these teams with cap space, all these teams wanting AD, and like you said, the the, the guys who you can move on this roster. That I'm just I'm just not willing to give up a one for for anybody right now. Um, it would have to be a great deal for me to give up a one. Oh my gosh, I totally missed the the whole point of the juncture was Dell or no Dell. So thank you, Grub, for reminding me. Uh, Ali, this one's for you. Wesley Johnson and a first round pick for the restricted rights to Terry Rozier. Dell or no Dell? God, no Dell. Easy done. Next. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this one's for Kevin. Mike Conley. For Solomon Hill, Nikola Meritich, and two first-round picks in 19 and 21. No, Dell. I wouldn't give up the picks. That's the main reason. Um, I don't – I would I would allow Dell maybe to trade uh, this year's pick with some protections on it. It would have to be, you know, protect to maybe uh, 10. Um, but I wouldn't trade anything into the future because, I, like I said, I think it's just time for that split to happen. But if you need to – get some assets back, but that's too much, especially for, you know, Mike, 
I like Mike Conley, obviously. Um, how can you not like Mike Conley? But um, he uh, is getting older. And if you're doing a rebuild, you don't necessarily want a guy his age, especially a guy with those injury issues. And I just don't think see that as something that's going to make Anthony Davis stay. All right. I'm going to go ahead and skip Grub on this one because he's already indicated he's probably not going to give up a first in this deal. So, Ollie, Garrett Temple, Justin Holiday for Solomon Hill and a first-round pick. No. All right. <laughs> These are moves that aren't going to move the needle. I know that the team needs depth. But, again, we're past that point. You wanted to play goat going hunting for depth. Should have been done about a month and a half ago at a minimum. Mm-hmm. All right, Ali. What about Kemba Walker and a first for Nikola Meritich and Frank Jackson? Ooh, that one would be tempting because then you can move forward with Drew and Kemba. And, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm going to say yes. If it costs one first-round pick to get Kemba and he agrees he's going to sign a contract with you, done. Yes. It's not just a first-round pick. It's also probably a five-year, $210 million contract. I understand, but if you're just giving up one pick, right? Is that what you said? Yep. Yeah, i do it. I, All right, I'll just jump in on that real quick. I, I would do that too. And one thing that I think would be interesting about it is you're like clearly saying, okay, now we're building around guards instead of yep. building on the front court. So it'd be kind of interesting, a totally different looking team. All right, Grub, this one's for you. Solomon Hill, Wesley Johnson for Alan Crabb. You take on $5 million worth of salary this se- or next season, I should say, but you get an upgrade uh, over those two at that position. Dell, I'd take that one because then you're getting – that's getting Solo off of the team. Um, and, again, it's not to pick on Solo, but to get that deal and his level of production, to get a guy like Crabb who can – Again, probably, you know, can play two positions, the guard, the big guard and the small forward position can shoot the ball. Um, yeah, that, that's a, a Dell. Dell. All right. We have a Dell. Uh, let's go to Ali and I'll save the next one for Kevin. Ali, Wesley Johnson and Darius Miller for Robin Lopez. Dell or no Dell? Mm. No, Dell. I just don't see what Robin Lopez is going to add to the team. All right, uh, Kevin, Solomon Hill and Wesley Johnson and a first-round pick for Dennis Smith Jr. and Wesley Matthews. Uh, yeah, can we put some protections on that pick? Like, you know, top eight or something? Sure. I'll write in top sure. eight. Yeah, I'll do that because, you know, you're giving up a first for a guy who was picked ninth. Uh, last, he was picked ninth, I think, last season, and he's shown some potential. And, you know, you you need a long-term answer at point guard. We don't have one, and he's a guy to take a shot at. I think it's worth it. And then what, Wesley Matthews is a good player, um, you know, and that contract's going to expire this season. You might be able to bring him back or, you know, depending on the situation with the team. But if you're going to try to win now, he's also a guy that will help you because he does some things that we don't have. He defends, he plays hard, and he can shoot the three. All right, we have Adele. Uh, I th- Adele. <laughs> I wonder how long it's going to take me to get that one. David, what about Salmon Hill and Nikola Miritich for Harrison Barnes and his remaining, uh, I think it's one year and $28 million? Say that one again. Salmon Hill and Nikola Miritich for Harrison Barnes. So the reason the Mavs do it is because they get the bird rights to Nikola Miritich and they save mm-hmm. $16 million by downgrading from Harrison Barnes to Salmon Hill. If you're the Pelicans, you get an immediate upgrade this year on the wing, but you're taking on uh, conceivably another $25 million for uh, 1920. Oh, no, no, no. I passed that one hard. No Dell, no Dell. All right, no Dell. All right, uh, 
Ali, you might be, you're probably not going to be interested in this, but I'm going to float it to you anyway. Nicola Meritish, Solomon Hill, and a first for four years of Will Barton on a great contract, and you'd have to take Mason Plumley with it. No, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> I love Will Barton too, so that's why I kind of pause, but come on, man. Seriously, no. For a first round pick, for, you know, a guy that's a role player slash starter, no. All right, I have to keep all the future ones for Ali. No win now moves. Kevin, what about Salmon Hill and Wesley Johnson for Reggie? Moves. Honestly, if this team has a chance, I think you got to keep Meritich. I'm going to put that out there right now. The okay. season's not 100% over, but I think you've got to keep Meritich. So I should have put Julius Randle into those positions. I just yes. don't see the value in taking Julius Randle for other teams because right. they don't have bird rights on him. So there's no advantage really other than getting him for an additional 30 games. But most of these teams aren't really competing anyway. Sorry, what say, and, he's a lesser say, player. and he's a lesser player. But yeah, I agree, Preston. If I, if yeah, I, I, think, would, if, I think that one works a little bit for both teams, actually, if you put Randle in there, just because they're saving the, the Nuggets are going to save money long term. And then they have so many like sort of wing – uh, guard combo guys that there's just not a lot of time to play everybody, you know, especially you're going to get Isaiah Thomas back and then what's going to happen with Monty Morris and, you know, like, so I can see that move working for both teams, honestly. Yeah. Uh, because, um, and I, I, and from, I would maybe do that if, if it was Randall, I would do it because you could still retain Miritich. Um, and then I, I love Will Barton. So like, I think he would be a great player um on this squad uh, i would love to watch him every game so i would definitely do that yeah with top yeah, protected yes i agree yeah i like that i like that one too for the for the future too because yeah i think denver would be interested in randall it it helps them on their interior because you get a guy who can play with your second unit you know again score points points for you in the post and especially when they get into the playoffs if they're not shooting the ball if they're not in transition you can to have that wrecking ball and a guy that if he doesn't work yeah you you with their salary situation to be able to dump Randall at the end of the season, if it doesn't work and they know they're probably not winning a championship this year. Anyway, they're like a year ahead of schedule. If they finish with a second seed, I think that would be attractive to Denver. Yeah. And they get Plumlee off their books. I mean, yep. I think it's for both, you know, because mm-hmm. I mean, if Millsap goes down and plus their ball is going to be in Jokic's hand. So you're not going to have some of the issues you have with Randall on that team. Cause he's not going to have the ball in his hands all the time. He's going to be, you know, hopefully cutting and those kind of things for them. So. All right, we have Adele. Uh, I'm not going to mention these ones because Ollie's going to mute me. But Salmon Hill and Wesley Johnson for the one remaining year of Reggie Jackson or Wesley Johnson for Langston Galloway and his one remaining year, $7 million. Those are just mm-hmm. depth building moves for now. We're, we're out on those. Uh, I, I'm going to say Grub is next. This is mm-hmm. Rodney Magruder and his restricted rights and Tyler Johnson and his one year, $19 million player option. For Salmon Hill, Wesley Johnson, and a second-round pick. The reason that this makes sense is because they can't re-sign Rodney Magruder. They're already well into the tax for next year. They need to dump salary, and the Pelicans are doing that for them by taking on Tyler Johnson and his $19 million. So they save $7 million next year, and then they throw in a second-round pick to say thank you. It's tough, but I'll say I'll, I'll, I'll say Dell. I'd take that one because again, I'd be anticipating that Randall would be gone, so that salary's off my books. If I could keep Meritich at the end of the season, yeah, that that could. I, I like that. I like that the depth that it gives you on the wing. Like you said, if you're building your team after Anthony Davis around wing players, I could deal with that. So Dell, Tyler Johnson's gonna make twenty million, guys. Come on, no, I know, but it's one year. It's one year, so you know next year's not gonna be good anyway. Like I said, it's a razor thin. 
I'm not but, saying it's a, a hard take, I mean, but one year to, to for him to come off the books and to have that salary and to have your draft pick still. And you're also draft. dumping Solomon Hill, but the main prize is Rodden Magruder. I'm big on Magruder, and but I don't think. Let me add this to that. What if you had like, what if you had a third team and you and Tyler Johnson went to the Hawks and the Pelicans got Bazemore and you just added another second round and that first second round also went to the Hawks. So they got two second rounds and just swapped out salaries and you got a player that you would like maybe like more and they, you know, Atlanta is fine with getting a lesser player because they're not trying to win yet. Ooh, that's interesting. All right. Atlanta bites, but yeah. All right, there we have it. We have Adele if, if the Hawks are into Tyler Johnson over Kent Bazemore. Uh, let's go ahead and move this one to Ali. I think this one could be building for the future, uh, possibly, at the risk. Uh, Tyus Jones and Robert Covington for Solomon Hill and two firsts, or sub in one of those firsts for Gorgie Dang and Josh Okogie, or sorry, or a separate trade. This is Gorgie Dang and Josh Okogie straight up for Solomon Hill and Wesley Johnson. Wait, say that last part because I was thinking of Covington. What would you just say with the last part? Let's just start with this one. What about Tyus Jones and you get his restricted rights and Robert Covington and the remaining three or four years, I think at $15 million per year, and then you dump Solomon Hill and you give them two firsts and you can make up your own protections? <laughs> two firsts is too much. No, no doubt. All right, no Dell. Uh, this one will be, I want to save, you know what? I'll just go to this for Kevin. For Kevin, Nikola Meritich for Eric Gordon just to torture him. No way, man. I, I, <laughs> that would torture me. I can't look at Eric Gordon. I mean, I'm sorry. I, I mean, I, yeah, no way. No way. All right, Grub, what about Gorgie Dang? And I think he's got two years left on his deal, somewhere around 13 or 14 million a year. But you also get Josh Okogie for Solomon Hill and Wesley Johnson. I really like Josh Okogi. I really like him. Yeah, Minnesota's not giving him up. There's no way. Right. Like, he's so good. Like, I can't see Minnesota giving him up. Because I think that they, they are looking for so much Andrew Wiggins insurance. If he doesn't make a leap and somebody's eventually willing to bite on his bad contract. Because I think they, they'll keep Towns no matter what. But Wiggins yeah. could be moved. And I just don't see the Wolves giving up Covington or Okogi. Because Kogi. of yeah, but not a Kogi. Yeah, not a Kogi. I don't care how good Josh Kogi is. They're <laughs> going to be saving two years and $34 million additional years of Gorgie Deng by moving him. They only have to take on one year of Solomon Hill. They're going to save $4 million next year. They're going to save $17.5 million in 2020-21. At that point, Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins are going to be so expensive. They're really going to want that additional money. I just don't. I don't see Wiggins being there. Guys, they they can't. They barely got Jimmy Butler to go up there. Yeah, I just, I just can't see. I just, but I, I can't see Wiggins. I, I don't think they're in love. Is in love with Wiggins as they were before. And I think when they change, and there will be changes in Minnesota in off season too. So I think they're trying to redefine themselves too. And I, I think, I think the only player that they are a hundred percent married to is Towns, and they're going to look at who fits around Towns best, and. So I, I just don't think they want to give up that. They wouldn't make that move now, at least not today. Even if I mean, even if you made that offer today, they wouldn't make that deal today. So I, I just I don't think it. I just don't think it's possible today. All right, I'm going to skip Mios Teodosic and uh, Luke Mabamute for solo and let's say a lottery protected first, and we're going to go right ahead, Kevin. This is Tim Hardaway Jr. This is Noah Vonleh for Salmon Hill and Wesley Johnson 
straight up. The Knicks get Hardaway off the books. I think he's got somewhere. I'm going to look it up as you talk, but I think he's got somewhere in the neighborhood of two years and $34 million left on his contract. Uh, it might just be one year, but either way, they definitely are going to want that money this offseason to try to attack the free agent market. And they're going to save $6 million next year and then have Hardaway completely off the books the following year. Dell or no Dell? Nah, I mean, I like Tim Hardaway. His contract's high, but this is like also, you know, I mean, and Vonley has shown that he's, you know, a player closer to what his draft status said, uh, the way he's been playing than what we thought he was or what he showed prior to this year. Um, so he's, you know, he's ascending as a player. But um, I just think that's still like a, kind of a move for now and short term because I don't think Tim Hardaway is dynamic enough with that track to be like part of like a total rebuild. Like, what's the point of that? I mean, he might as well. You, then you just become like the Knicks, basically. Um, but, you know, if they're interested in uh, Ian Clark for Trey Burke, I'll do that. All right, just for clarity's <laughs> sake, uh, <laughs> he's on the books for $18 million for next year and $19 million player option the following season. This one's for Ollie. You might like this one. Uh, probably not, though. Markel Fultz for either one Moore, Julius Randle, or Nikola Meritich. No, because I don't have any belief in Fultz. I mean, he may come back with that thorax syndrome, but that kid's been through so much. You would, I just don't Paul, see you, would, you wouldn't trade Julius Randle for Markel Fultz like this no, year? No, honestly, no. How much? What's he got left on his contract? I don't think he's ever going to pan out. So no. All right, it's Grub. a rookie deal still. I know. So I'm saying it's a rookie deal. Yeah, and I would do that. that what, I'd do six, that seven Fultz. million. It is ten million in its final yeah. season. Um, yeah, Grub, and it's I, Grub, oh, it's I think one more year. Yeah, uh, I, I take Fultz in that deal. I definitely. Would. Yeah, I mean, to get Randall to get rid of Randall. Yeah, I take and you, Fultz. And you get a young, you get the first pick in the draft to, who just had injury and and just needs a change of scenery. I mean, I'm not going to say he's going to be good, but I mean, I think it's definitely worth the gamble um, with what we saw and you know what everybody saw in college of from him. I was expecting from him. I, I mean, he hasn't really had that fair of a shot or that good of a situation to really see if he can be a player, then you can put him, you know, what, he'd be in a, under a lot less pressure coming here in the, in that situation. So uh, Guys, I, Fultz has got two more years because I think his third year is going to be a player option. And then the fourth is a qualifying offer. So you got to uh, get to keep him for I would two. do it in a second, man. I would do yeah. it. Right. Yeah, this is his second year. I would take him. I'd take, I'd take it. I would do it. The third I, year I, is $10 million. The fourth year is a club option, $12.5 million. And then the qualifying offer is $16 million. That's for 2021-22. So I mean, I would definitely do it for Randall because you're not going to keep him anyway. But I'd probably do it for – who who are the other players you said? Etwan and uh, – and uh, Or Meritich. Uh, I wouldn't do it for Meritich. I wouldn't give yeah. up Meritich for him. But I might do it for Etwan. Yeah, All right. I would do it. Uh, we have Adele Grub. I really think you're going to like this deal. Uh, the 76ers are low on depth, but they really want to challenge right away so that they can re-sign Jimmy Butler this offseason. They need shooting. They're just six strong uh, right now. So you give up the 16th pick, Zaire Smith, along with Wilson Chandler for Nikola Meritich and Darius Miller. Zaire Smith and Wilson Chandler. What's con- what? Which Chandler's contract look like? Uh, it's similar to Nikola Meritich's. They they break pretty much even. I think the Pelicans might have taken on a little bit more of the deal. I'll look it up while you talk. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I kind of, like, just on the surface, without knowing, um, thinking about the contract details, I kind of like that deal. Um, 
you know, I, I think that, but again, that's, that's saying I'm, I'm kind of bailing on, I'm deciding my identity is really perimeter now. That's what I'm, I mean, like the Pelicans are saying, yeah, we're a perimeter team. So hmm, that's a tough one. Um, I give it a qualified uh, Dell. I give it like 51% Dell. All right. 50. Wilson, 5. Wilson Chandler, they would say the 76ers would save about a million dollars. Zaire Smith's making uh, 2.6 and Wilson Chandler is 2.8. So they up- Smith. They'd upgrade at the uh, power forward position over Wilson Chandler and Mike Buscala. Uh, So they would have somebody that pairs and plays very well next to Joel Embiid. Uh, They'd also have Darius Miller to add some shooting uh, to the perimeter to spell Jimmy Butler with J.J. Redick playing a lot of the two and Landry Shamit. But that's pretty much all they have is they have Ben Simmons, Landry Shamit, T.J. McConnell. And then they would add Darius Miller to T.J. Redick at the three as well as Nikola Meritich at the four. So I you might have to throw in a second to do it to get it done, but I think it's something a conversation that could definitely take place. The, the tough thing that I worry about, and I just want to say this real quick, is that whenever like the the context of some of these deals with these teams is having to go back to some of them with an AD deal, and if you start taking some of those assets now and salary on, what is that when you go back to the AD? Well, are you making fewer buyers at that point? Well, I don't think that applies to this because the only deal I had with Boston was for Gordon Hayward and Daniel Thies. And I think if you make a deal with Boston, it's probably centered around some version of Marcus Smart and uh, Jason Tatum or uh, Jalen Brown. Well, for Um, Philly, for Philly, it would be different because if there were the Simmons possibility, if if that became the most attractive deal. Yeah, then then they would need Wilson Chandler to match salary to add to Mm -hmm. somebody like a Ben Simmons. Right. Um, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, they wouldn't want Miritich and Davis and Embiid and Simmons, you know, or what? Well, they would be shipping Simmons out in theory. But all right, I'm not even going to entertain with Ali uh, swapping Solomon <laughs> Hill for Norman Powell. Um, so that's all the time we have. I hope you guys enjoyed our version of Dell or No You do like Norman Powell? Would you swap Solomon Hill for Norman Powell in his remaining three years right now? Yes. Wow. I've seen him enough to where I think he's got a future in the league. So, yeah. All right. Uh, You guys, that's it. Remember, if you like what you're hearing and you want more, rate us on iTunes, subscribe. Most importantly, retweet, share, spread this episode, and follow each of us at The Bird Rights, at DM Grub, Kevin B for Bounce, Ali Cosell, myself, Preston Ellis. Before we let you guys go, let's get some parting shots. Ali, what's going on, man? Anything you want to tell our listeners? Well, I'm just curious if you guys want me to keep writing recaps or not. Now tell me whether you guys want the season to be tanked or not. Because if you missed my tweet, the Pelicans are 4-14 four and 14 when I've had recap duties and 17-11 and 11 when I haven't. I don't know. What would you say, Grub? I think we have to write them. Write them. Write them. You guys suck. Uh, Kevin, anything from you, sir? Uh, I'm working on a thing that's going to be a perfect reflection of the defensive effort um what i'm doing is i have a bunch of typewriters set up in a field covered in bird seed and whatever the birds peck out i'm just going to publish it and be a perfect (laughs) efforts we're seeing on the defensive end and on the glass um no i don't know i mean punisher season two came out so why should i write about the pelicans i don't know that's how i feel right now and and glass i need to go see glass and i need to catch up on into the spider verse um I have an article idea I've been wanting to start for a long time and I've just been having trouble getting the motivation to, um, but hopefully soon I'll knock it out because it's definitely, definitely, you know, we're at the point in the season where it's the article that needs that 
you know, that it's right. It's the right time because they kept giving you a little glimmers of hope here and there to make it not the right time whenever I was about to start writing it. But now it's definitely just the right time. I just need to knock it out when I decide to take a break from Punisher season two or whatever else I'm getting into to enjoy my life. It's nice that you said Punisher season two, because I have an interesting tidbit to tell you uh, after we go off air about it. Grub, Crescent City Sports, The Bird Rights. We're going to see you writing a lot more with us. Uh, what's going on with you, man? So I'm doing my first game preview for the Monday night, uh, I mean, Monday, Martin Luther King Day game against the Grizzlies. That'll be my first one. And then um, Ollie and I have been bandering about some ideas um, about maybe some, you know, looking forward to the future, um, doing some speculation on that. And, and then maybe just also doing, um, narrowing some focus just on Julius Randle. Because uh, I don't think folks really, they're starting to get it, but I just don't think they understand just how much of an, an anchor he's been defensively and not in a good way. All right, you guys, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we'll be back probably within a week or so, uh, definitely in advance of the February trade line deadline. So again, if you guys like what you're hearing, make sure you do all those things. Uh, rating on iTunes, subscribe, retweet. For now, <laughs> much to everyone's chagrin, I still want us to win, you guys. I, I'm sorry to say I still want us to take down Memphis. I still want us to take down Detroit at home. And after that, if there's any chance we can get Anthony Davis and if we can swing off, uh, one of these low-risk deals and get a seventh guy in New Orleans, who knows? Why not? Why root for failure? But uh, that's just my side of things. So from my end of things, let's go Pels. Thank you for listening to The Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and Up and Under podcast networks. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. And now, a thought from Geico Motorcycle. It took 15 minutes to take a spirit animal quiz online. Please be the cheetah. Please be the cheetah. And learn your animal isn't the cheetah, but the far less appealing blobfish. Oh, come on. To add insult to injury, you could have used those 15 blobfish minutes to switch your motorcycle insurance to Geico. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on motorcycle insurance.